0: Uh, this is kind of weird, in a sense. Um, many of you know that this is, I hope you all know by now, that that I'm taking a sabbatical. Stop the cheering. Um, and uh, I will be gone for three months. I will be gone from May 1st to um, July 31st. And that is the longest period of time that I've been away from this church, um, obviously, having helped start it in 1996 and, and having been in ministry since... 1987, uh, this is the first time our family has taken a step back. And about two or three years ago, our overseers uh, not commanded, but told us we should do this. This would be a good thing for our church. It would be a good thing for you. And so I said, Great. And so I planned it. At first, I planned the first sabbatical two years ago. And then that's when this whole building thing came. And then I said, Well, I'll wait a year when we're in the building. And then uh, we are in the process of hiring CORE, and believe me, you do not want to leave the building to CORE alone. <clears throat> <laughs> so we've ordered about 10 rolls of duct tape, so when he comes into work, we know where to put them. Uh, but so now it, it's, it's coming, and, uh, but at the same time, I, I just want to let you know I'm not burned out. Uh, maybe after a few weeks away, we'll go, gosh, we were burned out, but I don't feel that. We don't feel like it's a crash and burn kind of a thing. It's just a chance for us to go. And I'm going to be taking two courses down at Trinity. I'm working on my doctoral ministry program. We've got some family trips. We've got our basement we want to remodel. Uh, just some things that we've wanted to do. And interestingly enough, I have this love-hate relationship with preaching. I absolutely love when I get to stand here. But when it's Saturday night at 10 o'clock and you have a blank computer screen... Oh dude. Oh man. That is the worst. And you just, you know, okay, great. I'll get up at four and o'clock in the morning and try to get something to say. And so I'm looking forward to taking Saturdays off. I know Sundays, as I'm, Carol and I and our family's going to be doing a little bit of visiting churches. We hope to be here about once a month, but I know as I'm listening to other dudes preach, I'm going to be kind of wanting to get the old right-hander back in, you know, but but uh <clears throat> be back in. Be back in. One other thing I want to mention, it's in the little uh, blurby thing I write in the on-ramp too, but I just want to mention it. I'm stepping out for three months of the day-to-day operations. This church, seriously now, it is in great hands. In fact, it's probably in better hands than than when I'm here. And they will shine. I don't have any, I seriously have no problems with that. Uh, I am stepping back from the preaching and the teaching and any of the ministries that I was involved with. We're taking a three-month hiatus from. But we're not taking a three-month hiatus from you all. So if you want to come over and bring gifts or food, um, or teach me how to fly fish, this is not uh, uh, that kind of a deal. Okay, so you're our friends. We don't, you know, some pastors just want to be away, and I think, well, why would you want to do that? I I love our people, and so don't feel uh, any obligation to stay away from us. We are in our... Continuing series uh, in the book of Acts, we will finish up this summer. For those of you who are going to be around, uh, somewhere late July, early August, we will be done with the book of Acts. We will write... Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to go do it again after that, so <laughs> i got all the sermons written. Then we're starting a series in the book of John, and so those babies you dedicated, they will be graduated from high school by the time we're done with the book of John, so it'll take a little while. I'm not even going to say how long that's going to going to take. But if you want to open up your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 20. Uh, we've, the last time we saw Paul, if you remember in Acts chapter uh, 19 and 20, he was in Ephesus in 19. Last thing that happened there was this huge riot broke out and Paul had to leave the area. This massive riot took place in Ephesus. So he left and he went through a few other places in chapter 20, ends up in Troas. And remember where Eutychus, the dude who falls asleep, uh, we showed the Mr. Bean video last week, uh, that guy and, and Paul heals them up, and then they just continue on with their church service, and it goes all the way till dawn. And so for those of you who are wondering when we're going to end today, it'll be before dawn of the next day. <laughs> they do that in Nigeria, right? You go, what are you, three, four hours? Man, we, have a, we don't have a clock in this building. On It's like a casino. We don't want anybody to know what time it is. <laughs> All the clocks are forty-five minutes slow too, so the ones we have in this building. But yeah, I, I just think there's something right about that. You go to a football game, you don't go, "What time's this ending?" Huh? Huh? When the Almighty God shows up, you just stay here and enjoy it, right? I'm sure, you do that in Nigeria. And I'm wish, I'm a little more Nigerian than I am American in that. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, now. <clears throat> So let's take a look at this. Now we have uh, he's he's moving on from Troas where this amazing miracle happens, this is raised from the dead, and in Acts chapter twenty, starting in verse thirteen, basically I didn't I just laid out this series a long time ago. I did not plan this, but wow, does this fit well with some final instructions Paul's going to give to the leaders of Ephesus, and we're just going to walk through this text, and basically it's just going to preach itself. So here we go. Acts chapter twenty, starting in verse thirteen. We went on ahead to the ship, and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot from Troas to Asus. When he met us at he uh, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilena. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Caius. The day after that we crossed over to Samus, and the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. All right, let's take a look at Mr. Map here. Here's what's going on. We, I got a, I didn't get batteries for my other one, but I got this one. Here, he's in Troas, and it doesn't, I got to hold this steady here. It doesn't look like it's very far, but from here to here is about 20 miles. The Bible does not tell us why Paul wanted to go. He wanted to travel that by himself on foot. And we're not sure exactly why. It's kind of of actually a little bit weird in the sense that he's probably carrying a lot of money because he's collected it from all these churches, but he wanted to travel that by himself on foot here. Then they meet him here at Asos. They travel down to Mytilena. They sail, this is sailing here, even though it looks like it's got green there, but I'm sure there's some blue, otherwise the boat would have, you know, those wheels like at Wisconsin bells. Uh and, and then you go down here to finally to Miletus. And he doesn't want to go into Asia, and back into, over to Asia here, that province. He, but he calls for the leaders from Ephesus to come down. You're going to see that in just a second, but I have the map now. He's going to stay here at Miletus. Now, no, we don't exactly know why. It could very well have been that the ship's schedule wouldn't allow for that. Paul, this was a commercial ship, and they wouldn't allow for him to go all the way into Ephesus and come back. They weren't going to wait for him. And he wanted to get over to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, if at all possible. And so I'm done with this. Um, so, uh, and, and he can't go back into Ephesus, really, and without it being a major deal. Remember the last thing that happened there? Remember? Great big riot. So if he goes into Ephesus, it's going to be a riot again. So he he wants to, he does this thing outside the city. Verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Now think about this. Paul was there somewhere between 27 and 36 months. He was there over two years, um, and he had developed leadership in that church. Elders. This church had elders. That's encouraging. After just, from from complete pagans to followers of Jesus, in that period of time, somewhere between 27 and 36 months, he had developed people into being spiritually qualified to strengthen this church. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Hope has overseers, uh, and we are heading on a retreat this weekend, or this weekend, I keep saying that, but it's Tuesday and Wednesday. I'd encourage you to pray for us. It's a time where we get together and pray about the vision and the values and the theology and where we're going and all kinds of mission, and we just ask you to pray for us as we go. On. Okay, anyway, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, verse 18, he they, they said to them, "'You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews.'" You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. You can just see Paul's heart here. The first thing he says to these guys that come down from Ephesus to Miletus, they come down there, and the first thing he says is, you know how much I authentically care about you. It says it right there, I, with great humility and with tears. Even though I was severely tested by these people who were opposing me, the religious people. Now, realize, uh, those of you, I want to make one last final statement here, and, and I hope my, uh, my compadres here will do the same. When it says of the Jews, Paul's a Jew. All right? He's talking about people who have rejected Christ and remained to their religion. You can be any religion. that's what this phrase means. So I don't want you to be anti-Semitic here at all. That's not what it's saying. Severely tested by those who cling to their religion but do not have at all an understanding or a passion for Christ. So Paul says, even though all that's going on, you want to know something? I loved you guys. I was with you. I was doing it with you. I hung out with you. We did coffee. We did bagels. We just did life together. And then he says this. You know that I haven't hesitated to preach anything to you. But I, I brought it all to you. I went from in public and I did it in house to house. If you're looking for a church, and we, you know, Hope Community Church is kind of a little bit of a revolving door. We have, I don't know, 2,500 people on the, on the mailing list. And, uh, you know, if those 2,500 people each gave 50 cents, we'd give the bus, done deal. Like that. Anyway, little math thing. Um, you got all these people, and we've never had a service more than 460 people. So it just, people, we know that, we understand. I was, a, I was in my 20s at one time, believe it or not, and so I understand that's just kind of the way things go and you go to different places. When you're looking for a church, and many of you will, you will be looking for a church, and that, that's an okay thing. Don't take it, by no means does Hope Community Church have any corner on the market. When we left Bethlehem Baptist Church nine years ago, I told them, I said, if you're leaving here because you think this isn't a good church, you don't even know what dysfunctional is until you come to Hope Community it's a good church. We wanted to start something new. And so that's what it was about. It wasn't about bad or good. If you're looking for a good church, though, let me encourage you two things you, you need to find. These are non-negotiable. Number one, biblical community. <laughs> biblical community. You have to have a place where you matter. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's, it's 10,000 people. Somehow you got to be connected with one another. Or in my opinion, it, it, you could just you know watch TV. It's not a church. I don't know what it is, but it's not a church unless you're connected. You've got a biblical community. It doesn't mean that the, the person who stands up front necessarily knows your name, but somebody does. You're involved somehow with that, with that body. And the second thing is there's biblical thinking going on. People, I have not hesitated to you to preach anything that would be helpful but taught you publicly and from house to house. There's a passion for this book. Not my particular Bible. This is mine. You can't have it. But. Get your own. There's a lot of versions. Know it. Learn it. Hear it. Preach it. Be involved with one another's lives with it. Get good theology around you. I can't tell you how many times I've been around people, and a lot of what's going on in churches is because of horrible theology. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on, uh, it's really based on sometimes power of the pastor or whatever. It's, it's, it's wicked Run out of those churches that have bad theology. I'm serious. Now, not that everybody has a perfect theology, but, but it has to have a passion for knowing God by the constraints and by what's written in the Word of God. There's plenty there to know. I've been a follower of Jesus now 22 years last Thursday, and I still don't have this whole thing figured out. Okay, so I don't need to invent new things. I'm having a hard time just figuring out what's already there. Don't go to places that are trying to do new things places that are trying to find true biblical community in the context of true biblical thinking. Verse 22. And now, compelled by the spirits. If you're looking at your Bible, some of your Bibles say constrained or bound by the spirit. I am going to Jerusalem. This is Paul speaking. Not knowing what will happen to me there you got to expect that if he's been out in these outlying areas all over the place, that when he goes downtown Baghdad, because that's where he's going. He's going downtown Jerusalem, and they don't like him in Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. In fact, verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This year, I think I've mentioned to you, my small group decided we wanted to study suffering, so we studied uh, 2 Corinthians. And that, that book is written right about this time, right when Paul's going through this part of his journey in the third missionary journey. And so just recently, we got to, I think I read this at the retreat, but I want to read it again. Just so you know what the hardships and the struggles, what he talks about. I know that the Holy Spirit says that prison and hardships are facing me. I want to read again from Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 22. And he's comparing himself to some false teachers who've come to Corinth and are bragging up their resume. Paul's going to brag up his resume, and here's his resume. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And here's his resume. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Basically, everywhere. Everywhere. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Every time I think to myself, oh, I'm getting burned out. I read this passage. Yeah. Yeah. I ain't burned out. What a pansy I am. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be back. And then he says the thing that was hardest for him, verse 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. There's a little thing here in the white spaces, especially you guys, Corinthians, because you're whacked. But that's, you got to sit in my Bible study. Right, Danielle? Yeah, yeah, oh man, the Corinthians are whacked. Um, Makes you feel good about yourself seeing someone who's more whacked than you, doesn't it? I always feel better about that. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Something's going on with Paul. This is the suffering that he's going through. When his people that he's loved and cherished, when they fall away and they go into sin, it just it rips his heart out. First guy ever had a chance to share the love of Christ with and he made a commitment to Christ. After 5 years of close fellowship, walked away. Not only walked away, Walked away into the most gross, uh, for a while he was involved in a satanic thing. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Ripped your heart out. That's what Paul's going through. Verse 25. Now, I know, this is Paul speaking again, he's speaking to these Ephesian elders, these leaders of the church. Now, I know that none of, of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom... Will ever see me again therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or some versions say the whole counsel of God Paul in those 27 months to 36 months some, he told them about everything everything and then he says this now if you're an overseer at Hope Community I want you to listen there's just seven of us but I want you to listen to these verses Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You don't own this. You don't own this. This is God's flock. You are a shepherd. Do not forget that. It's God's flock. You're a shepherd. They're marked property of God. And then he says this to them. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This is a metaphor throughout scripture, this idea of a wolf. Now, in Minnesota, we've been kind of given this concept that wolf aren't nice little wolfies. You know, we have this, you know, the big bad wolf and all these kind of things. Nice little playful wolfies. That is, when the Bible uses the picture wolf, you need to get a picture of a savage wolf. Just uh, something that is just, you got to think of it like as if you're a rancher. I did a little web search last night. Oh, baby. There's some ranchers with some websites out there. I'm just serious. Do you want to do some? There's some very angry ranchers because what has happened in Idaho and other, and even northern Minnesota. What they've done is this reintroduction thing about putting natural, natural wolves back into the habitat. And I'm not gonna make a statement about that because I ain't no rancher. But the ranchers got an opinion. I'm not gonna tell you which way it goes. <clears throat> uh, needless, to, needless to say, I got this picture off their website. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they will show you pictures of what wolves, what wolves do. Wolves, according to them, and I have to be, I didn't do a full research on this, uh, but according to them, wolves will stalk just for fun in packs. They'll just, they'll, and they'll just take out herds just for kicks and just leave them all, all dead. That's the picture in Scripture. It's, it's littered throughout Scripture, this idea of wolves coming in big, savage. That word savage is kind of like Big, grievous, heavy, mighty wolves. (laughs) Jesus says, Jesus talks about wolves. Matthew 7, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. In chapter 10, he says, uh, of, of the book of John, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he says the wolf coming... He abandons the sheaf and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. This whole concept that there will come trouble in a church. I've just talked to one of you recently and this isn't your home church, but in your home church you're having struggles and there's all kinds of things. Do not be surprised about that. Wolves are coming to do that. Peter talks about this. But he says, but in, in 2 Peter, in his letter to the churches, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Paul, when he's writing his last letters of instruction to his, his mentor, his, or his mentee, excuse me, Timothy, says in both books, he warns about this, it's going to happen. 1 Timothy 1, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have so have shipwrecked their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And in 2 Timothy Paul's, Paul's one of his last the last letter Paul wrote that we have he tells Timothy preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead to certain Suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul is begging the Ephesian elders, saying, Guard yourself, guard yourself. Guard it, because it is coming. If you haven't already felt it, if you haven't felt some sin wanting to pull you away, if you haven't felt some teaching that's new wants to pull you away from God, it's coming. And how's it going to come? Like a kitty cat? No, it's going to come like a savage wolf. Overseers of hope, guard yourself. Guard your life. Deacons of hope, people who are on our leadership team, guard your life. People of hope, guard your life. Savage wolves want to take you out. The worst news I got for you this morning is there's someone who hates you. A spiritual force of evil called the devil. A personal spiritual force. And he hates you and he wants to rip you apart. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is God is way stronger. (laughs) And that Satan is a cockroach, he's a big cockroach, but when the light of truth is shined, it turns on light and he scatters. It's true, but he's a big cockroach. Guard your life. Guard your life. Steve, guard your life. Don't flirt with sin. Don't flirt with that. Some of you even right now are thinking of things that maybe I should step into this sin. Maybe I should. Whatever. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind, guard it. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. As he said, it is, blessed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you see what he does here? He knows that this church is and every church is going to have struggles, that there are going to be people who seem very authentic, who've come in really actually to ruin the church, whether they know it or not. And what he does is he says, I commit you to God. And last week we had babies down here. And that's what parents do ultimately too. You do your best to raise this child no thing, but ultimately you can't make it your goal to raise a kid who's going to follow God because it's not in your control. You can do everything you can to shape them, but it's still their choice. I think about this often. Uh, I think about this often at Hope. Because I am fully convinced of this, that God loves you all way more than I do. And I love you, but God loves you way more. than He loves his church way more than I do. Whatever situation you're in with somebody who's difficult or somebody who's easy to deal with, know this. God loves them way more than you do. And it's not about you. You can commend him. You can commit them to God. What's the reaction of the elders when he had said all this to them? Verse 36, when he had said this, he knelt down, with all of them and prayed, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Let me close with a question this morning. Are you guarding, are you guarding your life? Are you guarding those who are in care to you as best you can? Are you letting God... Have them, have situations. Are you holding on to them yourself? Let's pray. God, I praise you for this passage. I praise you for the opportunity to... share it this morning and for the opportunity to read once again the fresh words of Paul with his friends as he commends them to guard the church in Ephesus, guard it with their life if necessary. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, those of, those of them who've chosen to be part of this fellowship, God, I pray for them that you would speak in their lives right now by your spirit, teach them what it is that they're treasuring that possibly would not be pleasing to you. What are those things they're letting slip in so that they're not guarding their life? God, those people who are just visiting this this week, God, I pray for them in their current church settings, God, that you would just uh, guard those fellowships. Lord, we pray against the activity of our enemy. We pray against him. We hate him in all that he tries to do, and we will do whatever we can with our level best to fight it till our dying breath only because you've given us the grace to do so. Lord, I pray for us as you would help us even this summer as we go, many of us will go separate ways, myself on a sabbatical and many people in this room on, on different paths and some of them overseas and different projects and some just going home or different cities. Would you guard us as we're away from one another. Guard us by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.